watched courtroom scenes on TV or been in um, situations where someone is trying to trap somebody um, in saying something or admitting something. I've seen them in movies, I've seen them in real courtroom, um, real court cases that are broadcast on TV. Um, maybe you've even been in a position where someone's asked you a question and you've answered it and they misunderstood what you said. And you're like, but, but that's not what I meant, that's not what I meant. Um, that's what our passage today is seeking to do to Jesus. Um, so let's walk through that and, um, and see what God's work has for us uh, in our gospel passage today. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away. So they go with the big plot and plan, which he unravels. Let's talk about the players in this and what was um, and what was happening. And actually, before I do, I'm just going to take a minute and settle. It's hard to transition from where we have been into into this word. So God, um, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you have um, all of us um, in this. Lord, we ask you to hold those places of pain um, and emotion. Help us to turn our hearts and our minds uh, to you that this passage that you have ordained for us to be in today uh, would speak to us in the very specific ways that you have for each one of us. Lord, as we um, breathe in your spirit, breathe out um, the angst, um, help us to just draw closer and closer to you and your word promises that if we, as we draw close to you, you draw near to us. We thank you that that is true. Amen. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, this passage, we have a number of players in our passage today. We've got the Pharisees, the leaders who come together. Um, they're disciples. Um, the Herodians, they're the, uh, the people who supported the, the Herods, the, um, the, the, the Roman leaders, uh, that family, and believed that um, that they were in a better place with them in power and not other Roman people in power, but the, the family of the Herods. And these, these two groups are usually opposed to one another, but they now have this common um, enemy, as they would see him, adversary in Jesus. So they have come together to basically try and gang up on Jesus in a no-win situation for Jesus, they think. <laughs> So they're, un they're unlikely allies, um, but they're collaborating. And we can 
we see this happening in our world today, too. Um, so the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested, either by the Romans or, uh, or by the priests. Mm -hmm. And so they sent some of their disciples, so they don't go themselves, they send their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with them. Uh, so they have this strategy. So they have this threefold strategy. First, they start with flattery, right? Mm. So they send not the leaders that might tip Jesus off to be suspicious. To be suspicious. So they send uh, the disciples, the ones who are learning to be high and mighty Pharisees. Uh, teacher, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. All these things are true, <laughs> but they're they're using it as flattery. You are impartial and don't play favorites. And what is so funny is that. They would say that he's not doing these things, but he is doing these things, mm. and they're using it and trying to use this in their favor, right? Um, that you're not concerned with what people think, regardless of their position, which is true. He's not trying to please um, the person that he's that he's encountering, um, but they're using the truth which they're admitting, but only to trap him. That he's sincere and faithful to truth. He's fearless without respect to others who might. Um, who might go against him. And so then they ask him a question, now tell us what you think about this. And this is a, a, a process that Jesus has been using in his teaching too. He'll say something, what do you think? What do you see? So they're using his own way of doing it. So they start with flattery. Um, they use his question, what do you think about this? And then here's the question trap. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yes and no question. They're looking for a yes. They're looking for a no. And either way, he's sunk <laughs> if he says yes or no. Um, because um, if he says um, yes, it's right to pay taxes to Caesar. The, um, the Pharisees opposed that because they were saying that was a way of worshiping and paying tribute. Um, and if he said no, then the, then the Roman authorities would say He's causing, he's causing insurrection. But he wouldn't be twicked. Be twicked? <laughs> be tricked. Um, I, can't, I can't speak. I'm still prone forward. God is with us. We Amen. God is with us in the middle of whether we're tricked or twicked. <laughs> Silly rabbit. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so you think about a, a yes and no question intended to trap. So if someone says, you know, have you stopped stealing? Have you stopped embezzling from your company? Like, if you say yes or you say no, you're, you're sunk, right? You stopped beating your spouse, like any of those. So that's, that's what they were trying to do here. Um, but Jesus knew their motives. He says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He directly calls them out. He calls, their, he calls out the plot. He calls out their motives. And then he engages them on his terms. Because he doesn't answer his question, yes or no. Or their he questions, yes or one. no. He flips their strategy on them. Um, and it becomes not a battle of words. Like he's not going to get into a fight about this one thing. He flips it around and um, flips the perspective. And he says, here, show me the coin used for the tax. So they hand him a coin, which is the denarius, uh, the Roman coin, uh, day's wage. Um, and he asks whose picture and title are stamped on it. Now again, he doesn't say what does it say. <laughs> um, whose picture and title are on it? And of course, the coin would have had an image of Caesar on it, and under it, an inscription that referred to him as priest or a deity. And the, the pagans among that society would have worshipped the, C, the Caesars, Caesar, Caesars as gods. 
Mm. Um, and of course, the Jewish people were not going to do that. Like the gods, we don't we don't worship any other god besides God. And that was the that was where the where the, where the Jews were hanging on to, or the the Pharisees were. So it has the picture of Caesar. It has the inscription on it. He doesn't say what does the scripture say. What does the inscription say? But whose is it? So it's Caesar. So when they produced it, what they were actually doing was showing that they're using this currency mm. of this society. So as members of their society, they are taking part, albeit not the way they might want to, <laughs> um, but they are still taking part in a society. And when Jesus turns it back around, um, he's picking up on something. So rabbis were known to say, wherever any king's money is current, there that king is lord, meaning he has authority over, um, over that land. And by producing the coin, they're showing that they are participating in the mm -hmm. Roman society, um, in the processes of that. And then he, he turns it and he says, so when they said it's Caesar's, he said, well then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And what Je the word that Jesus uses for give is different than the one that that the Pharisees were using. So the one that the Pharisees were using is that you give, you pay tribute to, nothing is owed, you're like an offering, if you will. Um, but the word that Jesus used is actually translated um, payment for a debt, something that you owe. So he's saying is being part of the society, they are, they are obtaining some benefits, even though they're not necessarily all the benefits they want, they're still taking part in that society, and because of that, they have a debt to the person in authority, mm -hmm. and you pay the tax. Um, now, there's a limit to that, because he is, in the same sentence, he doesn't even stop to, to take a breath, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. So he's putting limits around what you give to Caesar, to Caesar. To Caesar. You, you pay your tax, you don't give him your heart, you don't worship him, you give to God what, what belongs to God. So he's showing them, and he's also challenging them, because he's saying, give to God what belongs to God. We're not only talking money mm -hmm. here, this is way beyond that. He's talking, and God, God asks for their heart. Like The Pharisees claim to be God-loving, God-fearing, God-serving, um, and in a lot of cases, they're not giving God their full heart because they tend to be motivated in a lot of ways by elevation of themselves among, above other people. So Jesus is also convicting them a little bit and challenging them, are you giving to God what belongs to God, what, what, what God is due? Um, so he, he has them produce the coin, showing that they are taking part in that. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar because of the debt that you owe, not out of worship or tribute, um, and then give to God what is God. And so he puts that boundary around giving to, like Caesar would have wanted everybody to worship him, but he, he adds that limit there. He, um, he puts that in place. Um, there were a couple, couple ways he could have done this. He could have done, you know, only Worship Caesar, Caesar, which would have been against against scripture, against God, um, could be only God, which would have been against the Roman society. But he's recognizing that God allows authorities in place 
in our world. And as we live on this earth as citizens of the earth uh, and where we are, we also have obligations to come under the authority of, um, of the governments that are, that are in place there. So let's say, so he's challenging them if they're giving to God um, what what God is doing or what, what God is owed. Uh, he's challenging their motives. They have this facade of being God-loving, God-fearing, um, but their motives are their motives are challenging. And what this comes down to, what Jesus is putting in place here, is he's ordering things and setting priority. So you pay to Caesar, what is owed to Caesar, to Caesar, but not before God, not instead of or not above. So he's setting priorities in place. So where things can be disordered or chaos, he puts the order in place. This is from the life application commentary. I'll read part of this here. Um, the Pharisees and the Herodians thought they could trap Jesus by forcing him to choose between two responsibilities, and he stunned them by choosing both in the way that he did, and he demonstrated in this that many of our conflicts, behind many of our conflicts, lies a failure to recognize priorities. And he's making the point if we start with God first and center, then our other priorities fall into place. Then we can sometimes wrestle with that a little bit. Should we give time and attention to our families or to work? Or to God or the church? Or God through the church or uh, or through our work, should we set aside this to do that? Um, according to Jesus' handling of the situation, these problems are issues of timing and priority, not right or wrong. And as we think about places of conflict in our own lives, sometimes they can relate to or be stemmed from issues around priority. I was dealing with the challenge right before worship began today. And there are things just going on in our life and family that um, that sometimes jump up and suddenly, boom, that becomes the priority of the moment. But I had to stop and get somebody else to jump in and help as we as we came, as we come together for worship this morning. Uh, but we were faced with decisions like that all the time in our lives, um, in our workplaces, in our families. Um, the real challenge for most of us concerns whether or not we're doing what we should at the appropriate time. Citizenship in the kingdom of God doesn't lessen our commitments. Sometimes it actually intensifies them. But duties in our marriage to our spouses, um, to our parents, to our children, to our church, our community, our earthly citizenship, how do all these things take place under God's authority? And how are we prioritizing? And in the end, of course, they're amazed and they go away. <laughs> they're going, well, that didn't work. You know, drat. And they will try again over the next uh, the next couple weeks. There are they make three attempts to trap to trap Jesus. This is the first uh, of one of those, hoping that they could trap him in his words, attempting to discredit him um, either as a collaborator of the Roman government, <laughs> um, or um, Rome might consider him as a dangerous insurrectionist said it was not right to pay the tax. But instead, as Paul would share in Romans 13, give what we owe. Um, Peter in 1 Peter, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to authorities instituted mm. among men. Um, he reinforces Caesar's authority even around hated taxes, but he drew limits based on God 
mm -hmm. as the supreme the heart. authority. Right? So what do we make of this? <laughs> what, what do we do with this? We understand what this passage meant to the people in this time. So in the moment, um, the people who were around and listening, you know, Jesus, Jesus handles that. The people of, in the early church, as they would have read these, they would have known Matthew, who wrote this Taxes. gospel, was a tax collector. He was one of the people who was really despised among a lot of the Jewish people because the people in those positions were contracted with the Roman government to collect taxes, but they could collect whatever they could get. They only owed a certain amount to the Roman government, and it was a common practice among tax collectors to changed. keep the rest. He changed. He did, of course he did. But they knew that that was where he had come from, so he had, um, he had that perspective. But hearing, um, hearing the way the way Jesus turned this, uh, it wasn't a matter, um, it wasn't a yes or no against one or against the other, before one and against the other in either direction. It was yes and yes. It wasn't a yes or no. Um, so um, the, earlier the early church was faced with the demands of emperor um, worship. Um, Caesar wanted to be, it wanted to be worship. Um, we pay our taxes, but we don't worship. It's a debt. It's not not the honor. So for the early church, um, it helped to help to create that that alignment with God on top, and knowing what is God's what is God's place, where our true and proper worship is, recognizing that God has placed authority, but it, authority among other people, but it doesn't um, it doesn't overpower where God is in our lives as we are followers of Him. So the question is, how do we take the lesson that Jesus is showing us about how we're living, our obligations, our priorities? Are they in alignment with God? Is there so? Because if there's something that we're putting in front of God, that is our idol. Like I shared before, as a little girl, we were learning the Ten Commandments, and I was like, oh God, I'll never make a golden calf. Like, I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to create an idol and worshiping an idol instead of God, what I didn't realize was all of the things that I idolized, my family, my work, my all of these things that I was seeking as I was going through life had become all these little idols in my life. So there is a question here. Are there things that we're making the thing? Like, I can't be at peace unless this, or I won't be content unless that. That's a... That's something, it's a, it's a sign for us to spend some time with God, being honest about it, and saying, God, show me what you see here, because this is consuming a lot of my time, thought, energy, focus, and my peace is anchored in this spot. What would you have me do with it? And he'll show you. He will. But are we giving our heart to God first and center? Where are our priorities? And when we make sure that our commitment to God stays strong, then all of our other priorities will fall into place. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. You know, give, you know, give Caesar what you owe him. But give God what belongs to him, your heart, your life, your attention, your focus. Um, let him be our motivation. And then those other things will fall into line. Um, seeing God come into... Um, we can come into his presence 
and worship him like the song, like our beautiful worship set uh, as we, we led into worship today. Um, Philippians, we were in Philippians 4 last week, looking at God as our source of peace, not the outcomes of our efforts or our expectations on other people, but as the place of peace. Are we looking to God as our place of peace? Are we looking up in the midst of things that are really hard? I know people are walking through some really challenging things, especially um, with everything else layered on. Our passage today in 1 Thessalonians that Will shared earlier, we talked about the, the fruit and the evidence of God's move in our lives and the peace that they would bring, the love and the putting away their idols. Um, literally putting them away in a closet, but setting them aside and letting God be the God of their life, Lord of their life. As we walk through this time and the challenging situations in our world and in our life, we know that God's heart breaks, as ours does too. Um, how can we be peace and mercy and compassion and love and light and life and hope in this world, um, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools? One of the ways, um, as I mentioned, just being in God's presence and being able to move, to bring him with us through our days. So starting, I am in a pattern where I start and end my days just in time with God, mm -hmm. quiet, in his word, um, mm -hmm. time of reflection, you know, in the morning, just grounding myself through the day and then needing to return because I can just put away my Bible and go on with my day and just mm -hmm. be me and just manipulate everything else. Like, that's not, uh, he wants to be part of everything that we do. And then at the end of the day, um, just spending that time in reflection, um, reflecting on my day, what things went well, what things didn't. Where did I, ooh, I really crossed that line there. Or, oh, I was really short with that person. I'm sorry for that. Forgive me for that. Um, handing our worries and cares over to him. <laughs> as we go to sleep, to try and rest, um, and trusting him with the outcome and that he will guide. So this summer, we spent three weeks walking through Romans 8, um, and in it we drew on some of the work by N.T. Wright, and he spoke of our calling by God to be genuine humans, called to share God's work, his love, his life, his light, his peace in this world, and it's not always easy, and it's not always pretty, uh, but when we can bring his compassion and mercy and peace into places of pain and uncertainty and fear and high emotions and conflict, helping people to see people, not dehumanizing them and categorizing them as this, that, or the other, but seeing each person as an individual made in God's image, loved by him, beloved of him, our sign out front has, uh, has John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever, right, that he gave his only son, that all, like, all people, whosoever would believe in him, God so loved the world, not a couple people, not a group here and there. But if we remember that, that he loved us so much that he came and he gave and he sacrificed, he walked with us, he sacrificed, he died and he rose again that we might have life. He overcame death, as we sang about this morning, too. He conquered death. Um, and he is seated at the right hand of God, and he will come again. Uh, and we 
just knowing that and knowing that for every person, every person created in his image, um, he loves. It is his desire that all would be restored to him, that he would take everything um, upon himself for us. Um, and then after he rose, he would walk with his disciples, mm. um, continuing to teach them, to reconcile, to redeem them, to work with them in order that he might work through them with the Holy Spirit. And the same with us, too. Not in, in a condemning or shouting position, but instead calmly bringing perspective and order amid contentious conflict and confusion. His love brings peace. Healing among those in pain, grieving, angry, feeling out of control. <coughs> Clarity comes with Jesus. Order comes from Jesus. He's not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. He brings perspective. He brings peace regardless of our circumstances. Will we be his instruments in this world? And how, how does he call us to do that? His vehicles of compassion and peace and love and hope everywhere we go, from our homes and our families to everywhere in the world that he has us. So what is God saying to you? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us more than we can think or imagine. We thank you for perspective on um, things that seem black and white and straightforward, um, and they're not always like that. But what we do know, and what is straightforward, is that you love us, that you created us, that each human being is created in your image, loved, beloved by you, and it's your heart for each one of us to come and know you. Lord, in these times of challenge, Help us not to dehumanize the people that we're in conflict with or even people on the other side of the world um, in other parts of the world. Lord, help us to see people and peoples as individuals created in your image, loved and beloved of you. Lord, help us to recognize the priorities in our lives. Help us to pay attention. Um, is what we think we have as our set of priorities reality. Lord, would you show us where things are out of order? Would you help us to prioritize? Lord, thank you that you, um, that you are first, that you are center, that you walk alongside us every moment, in every situation, in joy um, and in pain and anger and anguish too. Um, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we trust you. Help us to look to you. Um, help us to be your love, your life, your light in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.